1 Peter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind? Okay. Prepare for the race. Pull yourself together. Basically, right? The idea was, you know, you, you, you remember everybody walked in those robes. And so, so when you went to race, what you did was, you know, you took your robes and you tied them around you tight so that you could actually want that. And, and the idea is kind of pull it all together, get it all together, tighten it all up. And it's pulling your, your thinking together. Get your thinking sorted out, right? Um, <clears throat> we're good at the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end of the for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? So we're to pull our thinking together when it comes to hurting, because these believers, remember, uh, were going through a dreadful time, right? Uh, they were being persecuted. They were being tortured. They were being deprived because of their Christian faith. They were going through an awful time. And surprisingly, Peter is not writing a poor you letter. Isn't that what we feel very often when people are hurting? I said, oh, poor you. Oh, I feel for you. Oh, that's really, that's really bad. That's really sad. That's not what Peter writes to them. What Peter writes to them is pull it together. Get your thinking straightened out. Now, not what people want in the time of hurting, but what they really need. Because that's what we need. We need to pull our thinking together when it comes uh, <clears throat> to, to, to um, hurting. Uh, <clears throat> we need to have clear-headed thinking. By the way, we're still working on the sheet we had last week. I hope you kept it, all right? But clear, we need clear-headed thinking. That's a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us now, Lord? We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the encouragement, the help, and the blessing. And Lord, I pray you'd just be with us tonight. And Lord, that you'd help us to get a handle on these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. I, so God has a lasting solution for us. When we hurt, we want quick relief, don't we? We just want to make, fix it, make it easy, make, it, make ourselves feel better as quickly as possible. But, but oftentimes what we do with our um, <clears throat> quick relief is we actually miss out on the lasting help that God has for us. You know, we dull the pain for a short while, but you know what? We don't fix anything. And God wants us to really address the issues to fix uh, our problems. And there's help for us in the Bible to actually fix our problems and help our problems. You see, <clears throat> think about it. The suffering these people were going through, was it a surprise to God? Was it? Was God saying, oh, I can't believe they're only new believers. They're going through all this suffering. Oh, how, how did that happen? Who's responsible? Was he? No, God's never said that in his life. God is looking at the situation, and the enemy's definitely got a part in it. But you know what? God is saying, it's okay. This will be good for them. This will help them. God wants them to go through it. God actually wants them to go through this. So <clears throat> what we need to do is we need to understand that God's got a plan in the suffering for us. Now, does God plan to destroy you ever with suffering? No. Never. God plans. What's God's plan for you in suffering? When? To perfect you. To help you. To bring you on. doesn't seem like that to us. But God's plan's always good. And God's no, God knows better than we do. How many of you ever had a hard teacher? A hard teacher, right? Okay. Now, <clears throat> you're not all going to give me the same answer. I understand that. Did the hard teacher, I don't mean hard for the sake of being hard. I mean hard when it came to the actual education part of it. Somebody who made you do your stuff, 
made you do your homework, you know, challenged you with the heavy-duty stuff. Did you learn more from them than you do from a self-teacher? You do, don't you? You don't appreciate the hard teacher uh, at the time, but afterwards you look at what, 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 what they made you do and, you, you know, you've actually been helped and grown in it. Now, we need that. We need tough stuff in our lives to make us grow. We need people who will be, uh, you know, we just need the toughness. And God plans for the hardness of suffering in our lives to actually help us. It's a teacher. God's always teaching us. It's a teacher. He's planning for it to help us, right? And what we need to do, though, is we need to address the issues. It's very easy for us to mask or hide from the issues in our lives, isn't it? You know, that hurts, so you know what? I won't think about that. Anytime I start thinking about that, you know what? Listen, I have to fill my mind with something. I kind of turn on the TV. I, I play music. I uh, go somewhere. I, do, I, I don't want to think about that. that. That hurts too much. You know, we may do all kinds of things to avoid thinking about stuff. <clears throat> and what God wants us to do is he wants us to address it biblically, to actually face the pain and deal with it. It's a terrible thing to spend your life running from stuff. It really is, and a lot of us do, and, and it manifests itself in weird ways in our lives, in the things that we do, because we won't actually face the pain of something and deal with the pain biblically. We end up on the run from it all our lives. So <clears throat> we need some clear-headed thinking. First of all, we need clear-headed thinking about our own heart. Right? Uh, when we hurt, it is especially important to God to have a special place in our heart. Look, um, we're supposed to sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts in those times. Let me catch it for you here. Uh, we're supposed to sanctify, what does it mean to sanctify the Lord Jesus in our hearts? Okay, sanctify him. Give, give him a special part. First Peter 3, verse 15. Look at First Peter 3, verse 15 there. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Now remember, they're going through suffering. They're going through torture. They're going through all these difficulties. What is God saying to them? He's saying, listen, set me apart in your heart. Give me my rightful place in your heart. Put me in my rightful place in your heart and be ready to give an answer. Now, we need to put God on the throne of our hearts in suffering. Now, what would that look like? If you're suffering, you're struggling, and you put God on the throne of your heart, what would that mean to you? How would that work out in your life? You put God on the throne of your heart. Does it come naturally to you? No. It doesn't come naturally. What would, it, what would it look like? What would you do if you were putting God on the throne of your heart in a time of suffering? Put him first. Okay, he's on the throne, so he's going to be first. You'd recognize him in it. He's in charge. He has a right to do this if he wants to. Now, that's hard, but that's helpful. You see, in, in the time of suffering, either we fall apart in a world that's out of control. Isn't that often what we think? Why me? This, this is terrible. How is this happening to me? And it's just everything's falling apart because, you know, listen, uh, everything's out of control. But when we stop and put God in the center of it all, that changes. It's not out of control now at all. 
God's in charge. He's in control. Right? And that's different than it all falling apart in your life. God's in control. So God says, put you, put him, put Put him in the right place in your heart. Now, a couple of reasons for that we looked at. First of all, our heart has a tendency to forget God. Trouble starts, and you know what we feel? Oh, no. And we forget about God. You know, we go into automatic, and we start dealing with it in all kinds of ways, usually in godly ways, uh, and we forget about God. And secondly, uh, Peter has to remind us to set Christ uh, uh, apart in our hearts because our heart has a tendency to fight God. How would you fight God in a time of trouble? How would you fight God in a time of trouble? Okay, go for your comfort somewhere else. Do you ever say this is not fair? <laughs> do you ever say this is not fair? What are you saying? Who, who, what do you mean it's not fair? Pardon? Poor me. Why poor me? I deserve better than this, don't I? And who's who's responsible for doing this to me anyway? Who's responsible for the troubles and the struggles in your life? When you're saying when you're saying poor me and it's not fair. Well, hang on. If it's, do you mean to say you're treating yourself unfairly? <laughs> We're, we're not, by, by implication, what we're doing, and we're not even saying it's the person who's doing it because we know that's unfair. What we're doing is we're appealing uh, to some higher authority that is mistreating us in this event. Who's the higher authority? God. When we're complaining about it's not fair, what we're saying is God's not treating me right. What's he up to? He's not treating me right. This is not fair. And we need to bring our minds back and say, no, 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 no. Listen, God is God and he loves me and he's in charge and he's responsible. And if this comes from his hand, this is okay. Now we can go through the Bible and we will find all the success stories in the Bible. Somehow or another came to that place. Right? Joseph. Joseph could have said, this is not fair. Why me? And he would be history, but not history that we know of it. You know, <clears throat> King David, the same. All these people who endured hardship, all the people of Hebrews chapter 11 who endured hardship, we could look at all of those, and if they had come to the place where they just said, it's not fair, they would have lost all that was to be gained uh, <clears throat> in the suffering. You see, we have a tendency uh, <clears throat> to, to fight against God when it comes to trouble in our lives. And by the way, we're very subtle about stuff. You know, typically, you know, nobody's going to come in the prayer meeting and stand up and say, listen, in prayer, you know, God's really treating me badly. You know, the things he's done to me are just, just not fair. But anybody think of somebody um, <clears throat> who actually did say that in the Bible, our words to that effect in the Bible? Well, Job didn't really. He did in, in, in a sort of sense. <clears throat> somebody else that even said it more, more clearly. Who? Remember Naomi? Naomi comes back to Israel. And what, is, what does she say? Oh, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And I'm telling you what. They were having a party because she was coming back. But she killed the party stone dead in a few words. Now, who wants to be around that? 
<clears throat> you know, and, um, you know, but, but we can do that in, on the inside, even though we don't say it on the outside. We feel very sorry for ourselves. God's not treating us fair. God's not treating us right. It's just not fair. It's just not right. You see, when you're saying it's not fair, who, do you, who are you talking about? It's not fair. I mean, you treat yourself very fairly, don't you? In fact, you probably err on the side of being nice to yourself. That's, that's the reality of human life. Right? We're, we're nice to ourselves. But when we're saying it's not fair, what we're saying is God's not fair. God is not fair. He's not treating me right. And what we're doing is we're actually falling out with God. We're fighting with God. And by the way, when you fall out with God, that's what happens is you actually switch off the light. Because what you need is light in your heart. But when you fall out with God, you switch off the light. And it's easy for you to get to the place then where you're bitter. And by the way, Christians get bitter. Christians who know better get bitter. Bitterness is a perennial problem for us that we're constantly got to be dealing with. You got weeds in your garden? Doesn't matter what you do, the weeds keep coming up, don't they? You know, <clears throat> listen, bitterness is something you've got to deal with all the time. Don't pretend it's not there. You, got, you, you need to deal with it when it comes up, right? <clears throat> okay. Um, <clears throat> we need also clear-headed thinking about our hope. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 that we're to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. Right, now, what hope did these poor believers have? Many of them are dying. What hope do you have? What reason of hope would you be giving people in those circumstances? Say somebody's, you know, uh, your, your life's under threat, you're in difficulty and trouble of all kinds, and um, you're supposed to give a reason of the hope that's within you. What's your hope? Oh, come on, you've got to help. You've got you, you to wake up here, folks. You know, these are, not, these are not impossible questions. God is faithful, right? Okay. God is faithful. That, 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 there's hope in that. Now, you know, you're about to die. Um, God is faithful. It's true. What else? What other reasons will we have for hope? He restores. Okay, Lucas. Even if you die, you're on your way to heaven. These people were dying. By the way, <clears throat> some of the most powerful times for the Christian church, uh, <clears throat> probably the most powerful times for the Christian church, have always been when there was persecution going on. Because when persecution comes and people begin to suffer, and people begin to pay with their lives for their faith, separates the men from the boys. Brings you to the place rapidly where you're actually, um, <clears throat> it, it, it's got to be real or it's no help. Right? So there's a hope. There's a hope that we have that <clears throat> sustains us in hard times. Now, the hope is not in this world. Because the truth is, this world is all uncertain. The hope is not in this world. The hope is in him and in eternal things. And we need to look to that hope. We need to understand that hope. Uh, <clears throat> you know, um, no one can long endure under a burden of suffering and pain unless he has hope. Hope being a confident expectation. You've got to have hope. When the hope dies, you die. You can take away people's hope. They'll die. Put them in the place where there's no hope and they'll die. 
It's that important to us. We have to have hope. We have to have things that we're hoping in. Now, uh, turn over to the next page. Now, let's skip over the stabilizing truth for a second, right? Uh, <clears throat> people who respond to sorrow with depression have lost hope. Isn't that true? Can you be depressed and hopeful at the same time? So what happens there? You lose hope. Something happens in the situation, and you let go of the hope in the situation. You can't see it ever working out. It's, it's always the same. It's always going to be the same. It's never going to work out. That's just the way it is in my life. And, and, and we lose hope. Now, we've got to hold on to hope, but a misplaced hope will destroy you. It will destroy you. I, I remember reading in Japan, <clears throat> about in Japan, um, they, they had these soldiers, and the American soldiers, and they were, they were in... Um, they had them in horrible conditions. Uh, and, and they kept telling this one guy, if you do this, then we're going to set you free. And so he was, listen, he was the best prisoner in the place. He would do whatever they told him to do. And then, no, no, no. If, now, if you do this, we'll let you free. And um, <clears throat> then, you know, he, listen, he, he, he did everything they wanted com- uh, as well as he possibly could. And then one day he realized, they're not going to set me free. They're lying to me. And he literally laid down and died. Because the hope was sucked out of him. Now, what was the problem? The problem was his hope was in the wrong place. When your hope's in the wrong place, you know, <clears throat> you, can, you can end up really destroying yourself. So you've got you to be careful. You know, somebody gets to the place where, where they're hoping <clears throat> financially things are going to be better. Right? And that's where their hope is. And it doesn't happen. Or maybe they're hoping somebody who's, who's dying is going to get well. And it doesn't happen. Then they're, they're crushed when it doesn't happen. You've got to be careful where your hope is. That's a real key issue for us. Because if we put our hope in the wrong thing, if we you know, put it in the wrong place and it, it, it doesn't come through, it destroys us. You know, so we've got to be careful what we're hoping. You know, what can you hope? You can hope in the promises of God. Now remember, hope is not... Oh, I hope it happens. Hope is a confident expectation that God will do what he said he will do. I think the classic example of hope uh, or faith would be Abraham. Abraham was told to go and offer up Isaac. Now, Abraham had a promise from God that he was going to give him a seed through Isaac, that he was going to make him as the stars of the heaven and the, st- uh, and the sand of the seashore through Isaac. And Abraham sat there and he thought it out and he said, you know what? He must be going to raise him up again after I kill him. And Abraham, his hope was so strong that he knew God couldn't fail, that he was going, willing to actually do it, expecting that God would raise him up again. I mean, that's exciting hope. That's, what is, what's he doing there? He's trusting that no matter what happens, God will do what he said he will do. Now, that's a great place for us to be. To come to the place where we're trusting that God will do what he said he was going to do. Because he can't miss. He always does what he says he's going to do. But what we do is we find other things to hope in. Things we can control. Right? Things we can control. We can control certain things. So we find those things to hope in. And, you know, catch yourself at it. Because what you've you've got is what you've got is you've got to pre-program things in your life. This is what make me feel good. When the hope drains out of the situation. And you put your hope in the wrong thing. 
Right? <clears throat> okay, we can put our hope in pleasure, can't we? That will make me feel better. That will make me feel so much better. Now, what's wrong with that? Short-lived. Does pleasure actually fulfill the need of your soul? How much pleasure would it take? It can't. It's impossible. You know, <clears throat> isn't that what drugs are? The hope of pleasure? Ultimately, does it work? No, it doesn't work. Nor does any other pleasure. It doesn't work. <clears throat> it's impossible. What about food? Now listen, folks, food is one, of the most <clears throat> uh, is one of the most exciting things in life. And here's the reason. You can make yourself feel good instantly with food. Right? You can go to the chipper right now and have a bag of chips. Now, don't be thinking about bags of chips right now, right? Uh, but you can go to the chipper right now and have a bag of chips and have yourself your uh, whatever it is that you fancy up there and feel good instantly. With it. Like you're you're going to say not a bag of chips. So whatever. But food, food instantly gratifies. Right? <clears throat> but you know what? Who remembers the Christmas dinner? After the Christmas dinner, if they had brought you caviar and your very favorite foods, you'd have said, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't touch them. There's a limit to the hope we can develop, we can get from those things. What about money? Money's a great source of hope, isn't it? That one lurks in all our hearts. If I had enough money, you can make a multi-million dollar, in, million euro industry out of it, right? <clears throat> what you do is, you know, you set up the lotto. And based upon the hope that if I had enough money, I'd be fine, people will spend. Have you ever watched the people across the road spend their money on, on the lotto? They're, the thing. And they're spending tens and twenties on the lotto. I'm looking at, them, looking at them and saying, you should be spending that on food. But they're spending it on the lot. And, and, and listen, they're creaming it in. They're, they're, they're making huge money out of it. Right? Now, <clears throat> listen, it's all based upon the hope that if I had enough money, I'd be happy and I'd be secure. Is it possible? And some of you are saying in your hearts, yeah. <laughs> you know, if I had enough money, I'd be... No, you wouldn't. Look at the people who do have the money. Look at the people who have more money than they can spend. Are they happy? Are they satisfied? No. Money can't do it for you. <clears throat> we look at the idea of love. Don't we love one of the greatest needs of our hearts if I had the right love relationship, if somebody really loved me, then, <clears throat> you know, I'd have hope. But you know what? That can't sustain your hope either. Because at best, people die. That can't sustain it for you. That can't do it for you. That can't work it out for you. <clears throat> so what we're doing is we got all these kind of substitutes that we fit in, things that we hope in. And we end up disappointed because our hope is in the wrong thing. Our hope is in the wrong place. Now, we can even do it in a spiritual sense when we start to hope for things that God never promised. Or we hope for things sometimes that God says, that's wrong. You're not getting that. But we'll still hope for something like that. And when we hope in those things, we, you know, <clears throat> what we're doing is we're trusting in something false that's going to fail for us, and we're going to end up hurting more on the head of it. But in the moment, we can feel better because we've got something to latch onto. And you know what God calls that? He calls that an idol. Something you're trusting in 
more than you're trusting in him. That's an idol. Now, you need to understand something about God. God hates idolatry with a passion. He really does. He hates it with a passion. The Lord is a jealous God. Five times God tells us he's a jealous God. You know what? I think we need to understand something about God. He's a jealous God. It's not jealousy like we know it. Uh, It's jealousy, a rightful jealousy. He made the world. He created the world. He owns the world and everything that's in it. He sustains you, gives you breath, gives you food, gives you life. He wants you to recognize him. He wants you to understand it's him. He does not want you trusting in other things. So here's, here's what really happens. When you put an idol up in your life, you're on a collision course with God, and he's going to unseat your idol. He's going to unseat your idol. Listen, it's going to come off its rails. The, <clears throat> the wheels are going to fall over. Remember, remember the Philistines? That, you know, they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the house of Dagon. They thought, great, <clears throat> we got their God. He's in the box, and now he's in our God's house. We win. You lose. You know, <clears throat> Dagon kept falling on his face. Every night they'd come in in the morning, and Dagon had fallen. He was broken. They'd fix him up, put him back up, and he fell down again. You know, because... God won't stand for idols. And he won't stand for idols in your life either. What's going to happen is he's going to actually unseat your idol. Look at um, Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah 2 verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold no water. Now, what's God talking about there? Israel had God. Okay, he compares himself to a fountain of living water. Always on tap, always there, lots of it, fresh, clean, good. Right? And then he says, what they've done is they've carved them out cisterns, tanks. And not only are they just tanks, they've got a limited supply, but these ones are broken. They've got holes in them, they've got cracks in them, they can't hold water. But what they're doing is they say, now we don't, we don't want the fountain of living water. Let's go for our cisterns and we'll, we can control what goes into them, we'll be okay. And God says, that's madness. And it is, but that's what people always do. People come to the place where what they do is they trust in things they can control over trusting in God. And it's always going to be cracked. It's always going to have a hole. And God's going to watch the the water drip out of your cistern until you come to the place where you need him. Now, the thing about it is, some people spend their whole lives doing it. You know, they carve out one little cistern here and it won't hold water. So, you know, they carve out another little cistern and, and, and they carve out and they never come to the place where they're trusting in the fountain of living waters that gives us everything. You know, you want to come to that place. You don't want to be trusting in those things. The things that your heart goes to when you're in trouble and struggling that are not God are your enemies. Every last one of them are your enemies. Listen, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. He does not give us things to fix the need, to make us feel better when we're in trouble. He's the one that does that. 
Listen, great day for you. When instead of picking up the phone, instead of going to do something else, when you're in trouble, you say, Lord, I need you right now. And you start talking to him and he's enough. Because he is enough. You need to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. You need to understand, listen, the, the cisterns of living water will never do it for you. Um, solutions that leave God out may give temporary relief, but they can never fully satisfy. Can't do it. They won't do it. Listen, <clears throat> they can't do it because God won't let them. He made the world and he made everything in it and he, and he skewed the whole lot of it in favor. Everything else ultimately will come up empty except him. We've got we to understand that. That's just the way he made it. That's the way it's going to be. He's the only thing that can satisfy it. Now, people are attracted to believers who exhibit hope in the midst of, tr- of, of suffering. If you handle your suffering biblically, God can use you to help others. You handle your suffering biblically, you learn to cope with it in a biblical way, you learn to trust God in it. What's going to happen is it's different for you. It's totally different. You're, you're, listen, you're not living on the same planet as they are. And they look at you and they look, what is it with these people? That's what they've always said about the church when the church was, uh, was suffering. What is th- These people are happy in the midst of it. Now, you can't make yourself happy. But God can give you peace and joy in the midst of suffering. Right? <clears throat> Now, nobody here wants to go on, a, go on a burning fiery furnace. Absolutely nobody in their right minds wants to be thrown into it. But do you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went in the burning fiery furnace and they had a good time? They probably had the best time of their lives because they met Jesus in there. You know what? Everybody stood around in amazement. What is going on? They should be dead. They should at least be screaming in agony but they're doing okay. You can do okay in, in trials. You know, it's not, a, it's the, the idea for, for the believer is not that <clears throat> you're going to have trials that you can grin and bear it because you're tough. You're not tough and you'll never be tough, but you have somebody that you can sanctify in your heart that will give you hope in the hard times so that you can amaze yourself, never mind the world. And how you do when you struggle, when things are hard for you. Because <clears throat> you've got God, you can, you, can have, you can have hope in those times. <clears throat> and we need to be clear-headed about our responses in those times. How do you respond in trouble? What do you do when you're struggling, when you're going through, 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 through trials and trouble? Right? Uh, look at Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Acts 7 and verse 60. Now, this is Stephen. He's being stoned, right? Now, folks, do you think the stones hurt? They did. They killed him with stones, right? So the stones hurt. So, So that part of it was real. Okay, um, imagine being dragged by a crazy crowd and them casting you down 
and them gnashing on you with their teeth and them deciding that they're going to stone you to death because they've had enough of you. That would be a little bit disconcerting, wouldn't it? That would, that would make you feel a little bit bad. Now, look what Stephen does. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, what's he doing there? What's he doing? He's doing right when the feelings would drive him in a, in a completely different direction. But notice what he's doing. He's saying, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Who are they sinning against? But they're stoning Stephen. Okay. So, who, who, where, where does the problem lie here for Stephen? In Stephen's mind, where's the problem? Is the problem Stephen or is the problem what they're doing to God? problem is what they're doing to God. See, here's the deal for Stephen. Stephen is not the main event. He's not the main event. If Stephen were the main event, what, what would he be thinking? What would he be saying? This is terrible. This is impossible. They can't do this to me. I've got a life to live. I've got a family. He might even be spiritual. I've got to serve the Lord. And the emphasis would have been on Stephen. But Stephen recognizes he's not the main event. I'm not the main event. Now listen, we've got to understand that when people hurt us, we want to make ourselves the main event, don't we? When people do us wrong, we, we want to be the main event. We want everybody to know how wrong it is. And, and we're the main event. We're not the main event. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is not that we're the main event. The issue is that God's the main event. And so when we hurt, we've got to get our eyes off ourselves and onto God. And you say, Pastor, that's ridiculous. Stones hurt. Bones get broken with stones. It, 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 it hurts. That's ridiculous for you to expect somebody to do that. It is, humanly speaking, it's totally ridiculous. But spiritually speaking, it's possible because our hope is in him. And listen, I don't want to deny that the stones hurt Philip. Obviously, they hurt him if they killed him, but I don't think they hurt him like they would hurt you and I. <clears throat> 